You know, we all got stuff, don't we? We all got stuff going on. You know, we all get here and we all look good, most of you. And, you know, it's like we, we, we kind of, we kind of want to project this image like we got it all together and we love Jesus and things are going great. But let's just be honest with each other. We've all got burdens. We've all got sin that we're battling. We've all got, we've, we just got issues. We got stuff going on. And, and all of us come here from a different place. And I believe that we're all going to get something different. But the fact that you are here is huge. And the fact that you come in here wanting to hear something from God is going to be the key factor that makes a difference as to whether or not you walk out of here with some of your stuff taken care of or you just walk out with the same crap. I mean, it's just, it's one of those things where I think that it depends on how ready you are to receive whatever God has for you. Um, and we found that. So last week we started looking in Luke chapter 15, and we have this series that we're in um, about lost and found. And what I really want to focus in on is how important lost things are to God, lost people are to God. And we introduced this series by reading the first couple verses where we learned that there were two different listeners that came to hear Christ. There was one audience, right? He had one big crowd, but in that audience, you had two different types of listeners. If you remember from last week, you had, you had the publicans and the sinners. And the publicans were the tax collectors who had sold their soul to the Roman government. They'd betrayed the Jewish people. They were skimming off the top. They were taking more money than they needed to, and they were hated by the average Jew. And then you had, you had the sinners, and these were people who were operating outside of the religious movement of the day. They were, they were even, even to an extent that they were petty criminals, definitely fringe of society. And that was one group of people, and we saw the one phrase in, in, in Luke chapter 15, where they drew near to hear, okay? And then you had a second group of people who had come to hear Christ, but they really didn't come to hear him. They were there murmuring and complaining. And I love the word murmur. It means indignantly complaining. And these were the scribes and the Pharisees. And they, they could not understand how Jesus could not only receive these sinners, but welcome them into his life and condone them as individuals by eating with them. And I found another passage of Scripture this week I wanted to share with you out of the book of Mark, chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. It says, Many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many. I love that. And they followed him. Verse 16 says this, And when the scribes and the Pharisees, same crowd, saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto, the, unto his disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with publicans and sinners? They were just that taken aback. They, what's, what's going on here? What's, what's his story? When Jesus heard it, verse 17, he said unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus focuses the lens, and he says, let me tell you why I'm here. I'm here because there are lost people that need to be reconnected with my Heavenly Father. 
And this message was what Jesus addresses in verse 15. As he tries to, uh, chapter 15 in the book of Luke, he tries to clarify the misconception that the religious crowd are all who God cares about. Here's a great phrase, a paradigm shift. You know what a paradigm shift is? I didn't either. A paradigm shift is a fundamental change in approach or underlying assumptions. So what Jesus is doing here is he is, is, he is causing, and his message is, a paradigm shift. I want you to look at this completely different from this point on about how we ought to think about others and what, how God views others. Because his point is that, that there's a big difference in how heaven responds to lost people and then how we respond to lost people. And we need to catch the vision of God to be able to respond to lost people and lost lives and lost things the way heaven responds to them. So in Luke chapter 15, we have lost and found. We have three different parables that all ran together, that all have a similar message. And that is the restoration of lost relationships. So we found out last week that there was a sheep that got lost. And do you remember how he got lost? He, he nibbled his way to being lost. It wasn't intentional. He just like had his head down and was nibbling away. And the next thing you know, he looks up and he's all by himself. And I don't think there was any malice. I don't think, I don't think that he was hiding behind bushes waiting for the shepherd to leave. I don't think that that sheep was, was trying to make the shepherd put forth extra effort. It just happened that way. And how many people in our lives are, are just distracted? They just, through the day to day, they just get lost. And I had kind of a, a question in my mind as I was studying this, like, you know, how is it that with the lost sheep, the shepherd went out and, and sought him? And then you see today where the woman lost a coin and she looked diligently for it. And then you see the, the father who lost the son and the son leaves, but the dad stays home and never goes looking for the son. I had a hard time reconciling that until I figured out and... No, I was, I was reading a commentary, and he just point, and he, and he had a little thread of something, and it was basically that that the sheep wandered off, the coin was lost accidentally, but then the son left on purpose, and there's the difference in the response. So what I'm trying to communicate quickly this morning is is that whoever it is in your life that has wandered off. Let's go look for them, right? And then today, whoever has like accidentally fallen through the crack, let's, let's make them a priority in our life. Let's look at them the way Jesus looks at them. And then next week, we'll talk about how to respond to somebody who just intentionally walks away. So let's take a look at chapter 15 in the book of Luke. If you have your Bible or your iPad or your phone, I have the words up on the screen for you to help, but Luke chapter 15, it's a very, very short parable, really that's sandwiched in between the ones that everybody remembers, the sheep and the son. And you kind of have this 
three verses right here that, that give a very short story of this woman who loses a coin. It says in Luke chapter 15, verses 8 through 10, it says, Either what woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, does not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and her neighbors together saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the piece which, was, which I had lost. Looking, I, likewise I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. That's the parable. That's it right there. Just as a little aside here, it's interesting that, that uh, she, it says here that I have lost, the, I found the peace that I had lost. There's ownership there. With the sheep, it was the sheep which was lost. There's a difference there. There's some ownership that the woman takes over that lost coin. And, I, and, I, and listen, I, <laughs> I've read so much um, people taking this metaphor of this coin, in my opinion, so far that like the ice is so thin you're going to break through. But there, there, there is an interesting, I feel like there's an interesting point to be made where she is accepting responsibility for the accidental loss of the coin. And I think we all have people in our life that maybe we played a role in the fact that they're no longer connected. And, I don't, I, and I'm not trying to cast guilt I'm just, uh, or blame. I'm just saying that I think that, that there's a different feel here, that the woman is accepting responsibility for the loss of the coin. This coin was really not worth much. Um, the Jews, um, and the, the Greeks called it a drachma, the Romans called it a denaria, and it was worth about a day's wage, right? So here's all this, all this hubbub about it. I know, that's a 50-year-old word. It's all right. It's like, here's all of this much ado about a day's wage. It really wasn't worth very much. What's interesting about this is that uh, it was probably a collection of, of ten. It says that she had ten coins and lost one. And, and, and there are so many different theories when, when you begin to study culturally what this meant. And there's a lot of them. It could have been part of her dowry originally. But generally what ladies would do is they had a collection of ten coins. They would usually wear them around their neck or they would braid them into their hair. Or they would take them and they would weave them into pieces of cloth. And they would store them. And this was something, it was like a, it was like a rainy day fund, if you will. So, so two things about the coin, I think. First of all, it, it presented a sense of security for her. Because they didn't use money as much as we use it today. So like, you know, you're using cash all the time to buy things, pay for things. Back then there was a lot of bartering. There's a lot of that. So to have coinage, it was really for emergencies. It was, it was more a, a, a testament of how much money she had saved rather than money she would actually spend. So there was a sense of security there that, that we are, um, okay, so if something happened to her husband, if anything happened to her to where she was on her own, she at least had some backup, if you will. But here's what's interesting to me, is how the coin got lost is never mentioned. Because how the coin got lost didn't change its worth or reduce the effort required to find it. 
So it's like Jesus doesn't even say, well, if she hadn't been doing this, then it wouldn't have happened. He doesn't place blame. He simply points out the fact that the coin is gone. Because regardless of how it left, regardless of how it got lost, regardless of what crack it was in, it was gone. And it was still valuable and worth the effort it took the lady to find it. So quickly, what I would like to do is just run down through here, kind of step-by-step what happened, because it's like only half a verse. It won't take us long. And then bring it around to some good application, I think, for us. So as soon as she realizes the coin is gone, I mean, you, you, you know that sense of fear. And it may not have been a coin for you. Maybe it was a car key. Maybe it was like my wife, the diamond in her engagement ring. That came from my dad's grandmother. Right? Nobody move. Okay. I can't find my ring. Tore the car apart. And we found the diamond. It was it was out of the prongs of the setting. So I said, all right, you can move back in. Anybody got a place to stay tonight? I got the, I was real brave there for a minute, and then I thought about the repercussions, and I'm like, oh, man. So she loses this coin, and she just panics, right? So she immediately begins searching for it. So here's, here's, here's the, the, the four-step process here. As soon as she realizes the coin was gone, she first thing, first thing she did was she lights a candle. And I'm not going to draw like a, a ton of spiritual implication here. I'm just kind of going to walk through the story. So she lights a candle. It cost her something because whether she burned a candle or where she had the lamps that had the, the little wick in it, but she, is, she realizes that this place needs more light for me to be able to find this lost coin. The, the, the hut, if you will, the little house that she lived in, probably had dirt floors, you know, packed clay floors. Maybe they had a stone finish to them if they were lucky, but they had very little light in them. They had the main door that would have been covered, and then they would have had like just a slit along the top of one of the walls for smoke to escape if they wanted to have a fire. So very little light inside the house. So she lights a candle so she can try to find this lost coin. Then the Bible says she grabs the broom and she sweeps the house, which is kind of funny to me because she has a dirt floor. So she sweeps the dirt floor to be able to try to find the coin, which means she probably got dirty, which means I bet she had to move some furniture around. Maybe she had to get down on her hands and knees. She was willing to do whatever it took to find the coin. I never lose my keys because I put them in the same place like every. Oh, that was you. I'm sorry. Um, but like I, I really I hardly ever, I lost her keys. That's why she's clearing her throat. But I can say I never lose my keys, but I lost her keys and we still haven't found them. That's not where I was planning to go with that whole story. I lost, I don't ever lose my keys. So I lost my keys one day. We couldn't find them anywhere. And Melissa sat down on the couch, and she heard a jingle. So I'm pick up the couch, 
and there's that little liner that's underneath the couch. I pop all the staples off, and out fall my keys. And a lot of other stuff from the last eight years. <laughs> all right? So we found the keys, but we were, I mean, moving furniture, whatever it took to find them, and that's kind of how I see this going down with her. And then she looks diligently. She immediately began searching. There was an urgency to her to not put this off, to make it happen as soon as possible. And then she finds the coin, and she rejoices. I mean, what happens when you find something, right? There's this almost euphoric sense of relief, like it's immediate. You just feel so much relief. There literally is joy that you found that item, that, and, then, and then the calm returns. Like all this craziness of looking, okay, it's over, we're done. The calm returns. The Bible says that she shares that joy with her neighbors, which to me says this has got to really be more significant than we understand because um, it, was, it was something that was significant enough to where she felt her neighbors would appreciate the fact that she found this coin. So she lights a candle. She sweeps the house. She looks diligently. And then she finds the coin and rejoices. The Bible says this, that this is what she said to her neighbors, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Now, here's what I love. Jesus then takes this, so you have to understand, the Pharisees thought so much of themselves that to be compared to a shepherd with the first parable was an insult to them. We said, which one of you having a hundred sheep, right? So he's, he's, he's trying to, 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 to establish a basis for the crowd to understand. And, and there was probably some indignancy amongst the religious crowd there. Like, why would you compare us? No, I don't understand. what. I, because shepherds were kind of lowly people. They were, base, they were the base among the base. All right? And then he says, and, and, and then there was this woman. Like, like, like they ought to understand that. And that was even a bigger insult. You need to understand, Middle Eastern culture back in those days, women just were not highly respected. And that's putting it kindly. Thank God Christ elevated the role of women in society and the value of women in a relationship. But at this time, yeah, I got a couple of amens from the ladies. That's all right. But there, there, there was, there, at this time, for, for Christ to try and get the Pharisees to, to put themselves into that story as a woman was a bigger insult for them than to think of themselves as a shepherd. And then Jesus draws this incredible parallel of the lost coin and the lost sinner. And he wraps it up in verse 10. He says, and there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. And can you just imagine him looking at the Pharisees and the scribes, making sure they understand what he just said, that there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels over one sinner that repents, the publicans and sinners that are with me. Now, I don't know what all happens in heaven. I don't know what goes on there. I know there's been books written about it. I have mixed feelings. 
But I do believe that there is the worship of God. The angels are busy serving. I believe there's joy. But I also believe there's rejoicing in heaven when somebody comes to Christ. There is, there is a joy that happens. There is a rejoicing there. And I think that this glimpse into heaven, that Christ is kind of cracking the door a little bit saying, I know this, that when one of these sinners repents, there's joy in the presence of the angels. It shows us a little bit of God's heart right there. But where, where God's focus is. So let me give you three considerations. The first consideration is this. The woman did the searching, not the coin. I know you want them to get right, and I know you want them to come back, and I know you know what they did wrong, and I know you think they deserve where they are, but the woman did the searching, not the coin. The woman is the one who was proactive. The coin was lost. The coin didn't find its way back to the woman, and then she rejoiced. The woman put forth the effort. The woman did the searching for the coin. We all know that beautiful song, Amazing Grace. John Newton was was not a follower of Christ. At the age of 11, he was put on a ship, and that began his naval career. At the age of 11... Not the greatest environment to raise a kid. He ends up a slave trader. About the age of 23, he thought his life was going to end. He's in a horrific storm. And for the first time in his life, he cried out to God for help. He doesn't believe that's when he got saved, but that began his faith journey, if you will. And there's a pretty cool story how the load shifted. And when the load shifted, it actually blocked the hole in the hull and allowed them to, to remain afloat. Years later, he became an Anglican minister, joined forces with William Wilberforce in the abolitionist movement in England. And he also penned over 300 hymns with a friend of his. One of them was Amazing Grace. And in 1835, somebody took the poem that he wrote and put it to the tune that we know today. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. He didn't do the finding. God found him. And I think that that is so important for us to understand that as we live our lives and we recognize those in and around us in our sphere of influence that have accidentally fallen through the cracks, it is our responsibility to search for them. It's easy to critique somebody's life. It's hard to help, but it's God-like. It's easy to notice that someone's life is a mess. It just takes a lot of effort to be like Jesus and help fix the mess. (laughs) But if you will partner with Jesus and do the searching and do the helping and do the fixing, 
then you're being like the woman who did the searching. Second consideration is this. The woman wanted to find the coin more than the coin wanted to be found. And this is a hard one for me, all right? Because I feel like if I'm going to put in the effort, you ought to at least appreciate it, right? But that doesn't always happen because you can put forth a lot of effort in finding the lost coin, and the coin doesn't put forth any effort and doesn't really care. But let me tell you, it's just not in the coin, It's just not in the coin to want to be found. Most coins are happy just laying there. Right? They don't really have anything in them that makes them want to be found. But the finder was relentless until she found the coin. So please understand. I don't think that they're bad people. I think that they've fallen through the cracks, and I think that they, it's been an, they accidentally got away from God, or they just have never been connected, and it's just somebody that you, all of a sudden, you're thinking about them right now, and you realize it. Don't expect them to want it as much as you want it. That's, that's, that's the thing there. So here's the third consideration, and we're done. Who in my life needs to be found? And what I've been praying about this week is that somebody's face would come into your mind right then. Somebody that has fallen through the cracks. Very different from the sheep (laughs) who nibbled his way into being lost. Very different from the son who walks away intentionally knowing the hurt that he causes. I'm talking about The widow, the single mom, the orphan kid, the kid being raised by one parent, the co-worker with the slumped shoulders. I'm talking about people that are in our sphere of influence that have fallen through the crack. Who is it in my life? That needs to be found. We need to notice them. We need to address their situation. We need to prioritize that relationship in our life and then make an effort to reach out to them and look for them and find them and invest in them and work hard in their lives. You know, let me just be honest with you. I don't know what that's like, really. I got saved at a young age. We're kind of in and out of church. And then at kind of a critical moment in my teenage years, God put me in a place where I was connected with somebody who took me under their wing and taught me what it was like to serve the Lord. And I, as a, as a, as a, as a junior in high school, I got busy working in our church, and, and I got excited about serving God. And I felt God's call in the ministry. And that's pretty much been my life, that, that, it, that, that I, this is pretty much what I've known. But it's pretty cool. I can trace it back to the first time I ever went to that church, and somebody, another teenager, approached me. 
and befriended me, and then I began to serve the Lord with him there in that church. You know, so, but I believe this, that there there are people in our life that have fallen through the cracks, and they mean a lot to God. And I think that if they're on your mind right now, I would encourage you to make them a priority and to diligently, urgently seek them as the woman sought the lost coin. Let's pray. Father, we, we love you and we want to love the way you love. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to look around us, look in our sphere of influence, and that you would help us to have eyes that see the way you see, and that you would help us to love well and reach out to those that are lost, whether they wandered away as the sheep did or whether they accidentally got lost like the coin. Help us as a church to look beyond our walls and help us as individuals to look deeply into the lives of other people and reach out as Jesus would. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.